Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, today's discussion is going to be very interesting for any of you who has an entrepreneurial bug inside of you because our guest today is an entrepreneur who started his own company and was able to successfully take it towards an exit. So his name is Ankur Bansal and Ankur is the co-founder of Snapsaves, which was acquired by Groupon in 2014. But what's really remarkable about Ankur's journey is that he was able to take Snapsaves from just an idea all the way to being acquired by Groupon in just 11 months. Yes, just 11 months. So it's really very, very remarkable. And during the discussion today, Ankur is going to be walking us through his journey across those 11 months, what were the key decisions that he took, the various stages that he went through and so on. And hopefully you can take a bunch of insights as you work on your own idea and try and make it a success. So I hope you enjoy today's discussion. And without further ado, let's welcome Ankur. Ankur, hello, welcome to the show. Hi, Sonali. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. And and I was thinking that one of the one of the places where we can start is if you can take us back to the time before you started Snap Saves. What were you doing before you actually started the company? Uh, yeah, so just before I started Snap Saves, I was working in the private equity industry in Los Angeles, uh, doing leverage buyouts buying businesses, making improvements to them, and then selling them back. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very standard private equity stuff. Uh, prior to that, I was in uh, the M&A group at uh, Deutsche Bank, working on uh, natural resource transactions in their New York office, uh, which is where I started my career. I see. So you were like a very finance person before Snap Saves. Um, so what led you to the idea then? Uh, yeah, so during my PE days, uh, we were, so I worked at a value-oriented PE firm, which basically means we bought out-of-flavor businesses. So we looked at a lot of businesses that had paper, uh, paper involvement, which means uh, envelope makers, uh, greeting card makers, you know, things like things, things that are things that are going to go extinct soon. Hmm. Um, and that was when I first started getting exposed to coupon businesses and the rebates businesses. And um, because they're they're very, very attractive businesses from a cash flow perspective. But obviously, growth is very challenged um, because they're all paper based and, and no one is really using them that much anymore. So um that's that was that was when I learned about these businesses, and um, when I was looking for and when when I started doing you know when I quit finance and started doing Snap, I was looking for large markets where paper was still prevalent, and and that's how we came up with the idea for Snap Six. Okay, so yeah, I want to understand this a little bit. So you said that you were looking at paper-based businesses. You got exposed to this when you were in private equity. Um, first, can you tell us what exactly is the idea behind Snapsaves? Yeah, so Snapsaves is a mobile app 
um, where you take a picture of your grocery receipt mm-hmm. and uh, you get cash back. So we basically are disrupting the paper coupon businesses, a paper coupon industry, which is a $50 billion annual business in North America. Includes all the flyers you get in your mail every day. It includes those grocery coupons, um, which everyone's familiar with and no one really uses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that's, uh, but, but brands, CPGs like Nestle, Pepsi, Coke, they still spend $50 billion a year on, on uh, distributing, creating, and, and understanding the data and processing these coupons. So it's, mm. a, it's a big business. I see. Okay, so you, you realized that paper coupons was a big business and you basically tried to digitize paper coupons in some way. Yeah, so part of it was digitizing, which is eliminating paper, so everything mm. can be done through technology. And, mm. uh, uh, and, and then the other part was uh, flipping the business model. So effectively, um, when you give someone a coupon, you are giving them a discount before they purchase the item. Or, or for example, no one is paying full price. Hmm. So if you, get a, if you get a dollar off coupon off of a toothbrush, you go to your grocery store, you don't pay full price. You effectively pay the reduced price at the till. Um, with our model, what brands really liked was that we were training the user to pay full price and then get that dollar off at a later stage. Um, so the w- so so the way it worked was it was more of a rebate versus an upfront discount, and and that has important consequences to it because if you if you uh, we only gave the cash once you hit twenty bucks in your account, so you would have to spend some time, collect a bunch of coupons, get used to paying full price for the for the item and then get rewarded for that once you hit a 20. So um, from the user perspective, mentally, they were still getting the discount, just not at that initial moment. And then from the brand's perspective, they loved it because we were training the user to pay full price. Got it. Yeah. And and also because the discount was applicable or the rebate was applicable only after you hit a certain lip, a certain level, as opposed to always being there. That's correct. Right. And then one interesting thing you mentioned is that you found that the coupon business is a very cash flow rich business, but the, but the growth of paper paper in general is, is low. So why is it cash flow rich? Um, it's it's cash flow rich because if you if if you look at the industry structure, it's 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 a very very high fee oriented industry. You so for example, coupon companies charge brands a setup fee, an admin fee, a processing fee, a this fee, a distribution fee, a fee for creative, a fee for picking up the coupon, a fee for changing something. It's it's worse than your telecom company, like 20, to, 20 times worse. Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was basically uh, it, it, it's a handful of companies that play in this space. So they kind of had power over these com- these these CPGs. And because of all these fees, they were making a lot of money. I and, see. Uh, and and so, so that basically told, and these are high margin businesses. So what it told me was that, you know, kind of like telephone directories before Google disrupted Yellow Pages, they were, they, they, were, they were such cash cows that there was a ripe opportunity for you to come in, 
charge less, provide better service, and steal the market. I see. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so that so that's that was the impetus. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. And so you so you got this idea while you were in still in your job in private equity. Yes. So so I got the rough idea that there's a lot of paper out there that should be disrupted. Hmm. Um, but the specific idea around taking a picture of your grocery receipt and then, and then, um, you know, giving cash back was, was after that, I would call that developing the business model. Um, that happened after I quit my job and I focused on doing the startup. I see. So, uh, when you dis- when you while you were still in your job, you wanted to sort of do something about uh, the fact that there's so much paper out there, and some someone should try and change that. So you just quit at that time. I mean, did you did you try and get your team first or something, or what were your next steps? Um, so basically, um, in my career, if if you if you're familiar with investment, like the finance path, you sort of do two years of banking and then you do two years of PE and then you go and do your MBA. And for me, I was at that point where I was read like the next step was to go do my MBA. And I didn't really see that being a great fit for my, for me. I already had an undergrad in business. Um, so I decided not to do an MBA and okay. instead take one year off to try out a venture. Um, okay, so that was sort of my, that was sort of my thinking. Um, so I quit my job and found the team after met with a couple of people and we started building this. Yeah. And that one year turned out very, very, very well for you. But, uh, how did you find this team? Like who, who were your key team members initially? Yeah. So it, it was a couple of my partners. Um, we were three co-founders. And uh, I met them in Toronto, where I'm from, in Canada, mm. and met them through my network. I, we, we went to different schools, but, you know, it's a small world, and uh, they were looking to do something else as well, and we came together. So you knew them for a long time? Because that's what I hear a lot from, like, from, from a lot of founders and investors that, you know, it's good if you know each other for a long time. No, I mean... Yeah, it probably is. But no, I, I knew them for perhaps a couple of months, three months before oh, we started doing this. Okay, I see. So I'm curious about what that initial journey was, right? Like, So you, you quit your job and then before you actually started working actively on Snap Saves, what were some of the key things that you put in place? Because if we see your journey, I mean, you, you started your company and within nine months, you were able to sell it to Groupon. So a lot of very critical things it must have it come together, right? So- so eleven months, but um, okay. yeah. So 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 say on day zero, I quit my job in private equity, and then it, for the first like two three weeks, we were trying to you know figure out what we can do, what are our strengths, how much money do we have to invest. Mm-hmm. So we kind of approached it the the other way. We we, we kind of identified what resources we have, mm-hmm. and then what can we do with with a reasonable chance of of generating sales. We knew that we were, none of us were coders. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we could all sell, but none of us were coders. So we could not really go out there and start creating a product um, that, that would, you know, not make money. We, our goal was to be generating cash revenue from day one, at least day 20. 
So we started looking at sales-oriented businesses, and we we're like, well, can we sell into CPGs? Um, can we sell into CPGs a coupon solution that is better than what's out there? Mm. And that's when we started thinking, okay, how can we make it better than what's out there? Um, the mobile app trend was picking up. Uh, we're talking, you know, early 2013, mid, mid to early 2013. Mobile apps were becoming the next wave. Now everything is a mobile app. But at that time, you know, mobile apps were picking up mm. and uh, we're like, okay, this has to be a mobile app. And then and then that's how we we decided to, you know, take a picture. Can we can we use the camera somehow and involve uh, a bit of fun for the user where you take a picture of your receipt and you get cash back versus you clip a coupon, remember to put it in your purse, you take it to the grocery store, you're embarrassed to pull it out, hold the line that the the person at the till has to type in a long code and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So we, we basically said, okay, you know what, we're going to remove the friction for the consumer and we're going to provide the brand with a ton of data and this is the way to do it. So that happened over a period of, I would say, a month or so. Oh, okay. I see. But while we were thinking, while our th- thoughts were evolving, we were already talking to the brands. So we started really talking to the CPGs from day one. We had some yeah. contacts in the industries in the industry. We literally sat down with the CPGs and we said, what's your pain point? Yeah. Um, where where do you feel you, you could see some improvement? And then they really were the ones to tell us. Yeah. Like we get no we get no data. We have no control. For example, if I'm doing a dollar off coupon and I want to ch- and I and I see very little, very slow velocity of the coupon moving through the market, and I want to you know change it to dollar fifty to move the coupon a little bit quicker, I can't. I have right. to set up a brand new campaign because <laughs> yeah. the because the paper has been printed and the paper has been distributed. Right. But with but with a digital coupon, we we call this thing flight control. You have a control of of a coupon while it's in flight. And and that's and that was something that the brands really wanted. So, so when we started putting all these things together, uh, that's how we, we we obviously went through several iterations. Right. And that's a that's how we arrived but, at the final idea. I mean, this is this is such a key point, right? I mean, I, th- I think it's very interesting that you bring this up. That when you left and you started thinking about, okay, fine, you know. I, broadly speaking, I'm interested in this industry, but what do I want to do? You spend some time assessing your strengths and then you immediately started talking to your customers. So it's it's all because like a lot of, like I think a lot of startups today are more focused on, you know, let's build a great product and then we'll see if it sells, which, which does work quite a few times. But you took the opposite approach and I think it's a very powerful approach. So you identified sales as one of your strengths and the other thing was clearly that you, you seem to have already have had a strong network in CPG and that was through your like just personal friends and business school etc yeah exactly that was through business school um Toronto the Toronto area has only two or three good business schools and most companies um recruit from those schools so if you go to one of those schools you probably know a bunch of people in most companies right uh um so yeah we we between between us we had a good network for sure I see. And can you can you give us an idea of what those initial conversations were like? Uh, because like you were so new to this whole thing, right? Yeah. So I mean, we we would set up a meeting. Um, we would show up to their office, and we'd be like, 
look, I know that you guys spend $10 billion, um, by you guys, I mean you and your competitors, other CPGs spend $10 billion in Canada on these crappy paper coupons every year. What do you get out of it? Mm. And 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 they would be very open about telling us their pain because they don't like the coupons either. Mm. They just have to do it because that is part of their job. It's kind of like it's kind of like you don't get fired for following what the previous person did. You get fired for doing something completely different and it not and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 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 CPGs are giant corporates where they are extremely, extremely risk averse. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a brand manager at Coca-Cola, he or she knows that the brand works. So they're not going to screw around too much, too quickly, but they're not happy with it. Yeah. So so they told us, they told us exactly that. And uh, how did you think about things like pricing and, you know, in the beginning, how much to charge for this kind of thing? Yeah, so um, pricing was interesting. We, we we knew we were good at sales, so we didn't really give in much on price. Um, we chose pretty much the exact same price as the paper vendors. Um, we just provided extra features like data and uh, campaign control in mid-flight, um, features like you know complete different creative for the same campaign, A/B testing. Um, optionality to ask your users for a survey, a brief questionnaire, um, all, all, all those types of things. Hmm. So we, we, we really didn't sell them on price. We sold them on features. On features. Okay. All right. So uh, and it sounds like you started generating revenue within what, a month of starting? Yep. Okay. And Pro- I would say two months. Yeah. Two months. And that's how you started is that how you funded SnapSafe? Like, did you ever raise money before you got acquired by Groupon? No. So we put in we put in our own money. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we bootstrapped it. Um, but one of the clever things we did, for example, was we would charge the CPGs upfront for the entire campaign. So, for example, okay. if I'm charging you Coca Cola a dollar per coupon, and you want to do half a million coupons with me say over the course of the next three months or next six months, I would invoice you half a million today, right now, because because that's the that's the dollar that would yeah. go into the u- user's account. Well, that's so awesome. For exa- so for example, a coupon has two dollar components. One is my fee and one is, so we call it the fee value and the face value. And the face value is what the user gets, is the cash reward. And we would invoice the brand completely 100% upfront for that because theoretically I could redeem the entire stack of half a million coupons in the next minute hmm. and then I'm without cash. I don't have that money to give to, the, to those users. Yeah. So we would invoice the brand 100% and the brands are very happy to, to do that because we obviously said, you know, if, we, if you cancel the campaign or if we don't end up utilizing the whole amount, we obviously give it back to you. So it was very transparent, but what it did was it provided us very valuable working capital. I mean, that's amazing. If you, if you started out with half a million dollars worth of orders, that's that's huge. So I mean, who if you don't if you can share who was your first customer? 
Um, we, we, we started working with a couple of small CPGs initially. Mm. Um, so like $10,000, $20,000 campaigns. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then we scaled up like, so, so if you, if you think of a grocery store, 20 CPGs control 90% of the SKUs you see within a grocery store. I see. Um, so we got our first large CPG, one of those 20 in month three. I want to say month three, probably. Okay, I mean, but that that's huge. I mean, what what would you say? I mean, what led you to to make such quick progress, right? Like month three, you're already talking to one of the top twenty CPGs in a grocery store, and I'm sure. I mean, even if you can't share the name, you know there are only so many CPG companies with that you typically see in a grocery oh, store. Oh, I can, I can, I can share the name. It was Rekabekiser. Yeah, I mean. Um, that's, I mean, that's huge, right? So how do you think you were just doing something which was so novel that they were like, wow, we'll just take it? Or like, what was it? Yeah, we were the first in the world. Probably there was maybe one or two other companies that were doing something similar, but it was still very, very new. Hmm. Um, we, we approached it in a different way. We weren't shy to partner with the small CPGs. Um, and we perhaps even gave them, you know, a few free campaigns uh, just to generate data. Just so that we could have real case studies hmm. where we could where we could say, look at the proof. It, it it's right in these in these case studies. Look That's what we point. have done for yeah. them. Right. Um, and and then you know that would that would uh, that would give them confidence to try to try working with us. And these CPGs have massive budgets, like two hundred three hundred thousand dollars is something that they don't even blink about. Like these yes. CPGs spend billions and billions of dollars on marketing every year. Hmm. So, so it's all about, you know, 200,000 for a small startup like us could mean not raising VC money and surviving, you know, six more months, but 200,000 for them is like, you know, such a small That's jump change, drop, right? jump change. So they won't. So, so it kind of worked out. It was a, it was a, it was a good, it was a good relationship. And CPGs have money. If you think of CPGs, they have 20, 30% margins. A lot of coupon companies tar- end up start, start by targeting retailers, hmm. like like the Walmarts and the Ralphs and the Krogers of the world. And retailers are actually poor. Retailers don't have fat margins. Retailers don't do don't don't spend this much money on on you know right coupons that's a very very good point yeah and i I think that's what is very very interesting here is that you really capitalized on your knowledge of the space so like this this nuance of targeting a retailer versus a cpg you knew where the margins are you know where the money is and so you went directly to the cpg right yeah that's right i mean one more thing we thought of was you know a lot of retailer coupons are, are a problem because say you, you limit you you have a dollar off your toothbrush and you say you can only buy it at walmart well that's a real inconvenience because then you have to go all the way to a walmart to buy it hmm. and the to, and the, at the end of the day the toothbrush company is still funding that coupon just via the retailer but they're they're not they don't care where you buy their toothbrush from. that's you true can buy it from, yeah so so we decided to go straight to the manufacturer and and solve it for the manufacturer like the retailer is really a useless middleman because yeah. the, the user the end user consumes the product and the manufacturer build makes it and we decided to bypass the middleman so 
uh, that's that's also one of the things we, we kept we, yeah. we kept in mind. Yeah, it was it was quite it was quite a big point because it resonated with the CPGs quite a lot. Yeah, I mean they don't have to worry about then. You know, oh, we have to have like you know do something specific for Walmart and Target. I mean, you just have you're just working directly with the CPG, and from a customer's perspective, also it's very very convenient then. Um, right. And so one thing also I'm curious about. You mentioned that none of you were coders. But you, I mean, your solution was completely technical, like a te- te- technology-focused yeah. uh, solution. So then did you get a team to build it for you? Did you outsource the development? Uh, no. So, well, yes and no. So we had an iOS app and an Android app. Hmm. Um, the iOS was our main focus, um, and we had iOS in-house. Uh, we, hired a, we hired a mobile engineer. Okay. Um, the Android app, is Android is a lot more challenging because if you can imagine for iOS, you only have one manufacturer, which is Apple. Um, so there's a lot of uh, uniformity there. Right. But on the Android system, you have 20 different phone companies. You have Samsung, LG, HTC. No, you know, you have 20 <laughs> different companies. Yeah. So each has a different camera. Each has a different, you know, calling, calling feature. And it, it's, it's just, very difficult to build an Android app versus iOS from that standpoint. So we decided to outsource Android because um, we just thought that yeah. although it might cost a little bit more, but it's just not worth our time. So we were, again, a little bit strategic in that sense where we kept iOS in-house and we that outsourced Android. Okay. And so it's it sounds like probably in just an in since you started SnapSaves, Probably by the month three or four, you your revenue was well into like a couple of million dollars, and so um, I, I wouldn't. So so revenue collected and and revenue earned are two very different things. It's a it's an accounting thing. But oh, that's right. If okay. the brand if the brand pays me half a million bucks up front, it's not revenue on day one. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have that cash in my bank account, but. The revenue—it's only called revenue once that coupon gets redeemed. That's true. So mm. we had a lot of cash. We we surprisingly we had a lot of cash, but revenue took time to build because we could scale. We were we were one of the fortunate ones where we could scale up supply pretty quickly, but we still needed to generate the demand side, which involved getting our app downloaded and getting our app installed on a bunch of phones and having people to open our app and redeem these coupons. So that was basically, and that requires money. Getting, right. getting app, getting app downloads means spending five bucks on, on Facebook or Google for an app and for, for an app download. So Actually, that's a good point. How did you, how did you generate awareness amongst your target customer base? Well, I mean, we, we did it. We did marketing. We did uh, both traditional and digital marketing. Um, we, we used newspapers, local newspapers. We ran ads. Uh, we ran Facebook ads, YouTube ads, SEM, um, all of the above, to be honest. But Facebook was our biggest I source see. for 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 app installs because that's what we were targeting. Yeah. And it's probably easy to you for you to do advertising, right? Because since you were generating revenue from pretty much the beginning you could you could funnel that money into advertising then that's correct yeah that's correct okay and so suffice to say that you know whatever that figure was you 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 definitely had quite a lot of cash from a very early stage right so 
what were the key things that you invested in? Like, were you just trying to build out like more and more of your supply and demand or were there other key areas that you were trying to invest in? Yeah, so we were we were live only in Canada. That's where we started. Hmm. Um, and uh, we surprisingly built supply quite quickly. And this was what we learned that to build a marketplace business, you have to balance the supply and the demand levels very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have too much supply and, and not enough demand, you are redeeming your coupons very slowly and the brands start questioning the strength I of see. your platform. I mean, um, do they expect a co- certain growth rate? Yeah, so the brands expect a certain amount of velocity. For example, if you're only moving 10 toothbrushes a day for, for say, Colgate, they don't care. You're not big enough to move mm-hmm. the needle for them. And mm-hmm. they don't want to waste their time with small small players, even if they're innovative. You're just not big enough to move the needle for them. Um, but on the flip side, if you have a ton of users, but your shelf is empty when they open the app and they see nothing, your users are going to delete the app. They're like, this is this is bullshit, you know? <laughs> yeah, so that's I, the tricky balance, right? Yeah. So it's always a balance. So what we did was we created supply first and we very quickly chased demand right after um and we we invented some pretty creative ways to maintain a balance um for example um if our supply used to run low we would we would uh do bonus coupons which were basically free coupons which would be like you know get a dollar off any milk or get a dollar off any bread okay and and this would be basically coming straight out of her pocket. This was yeah. not a brand. This is not deal. a brand, exactly. Yeah. This this was just something to engage the user mm. and keep keep them using our app. So it was kind of like marketing dollars. Yeah. Uh, so so we started doing things like that to preserve and maintain liquidity in our marketplace, and then and then yeah, we uh, we chase supply and demand. Yeah. Okay. And how did the Groupon acquisition come to be? Did they reach out to you then, or how did that happen? No. So this was this was where I would say the luck factor plays in, because <laughs> um, uh, I still believe it's it's seventy percent luck, um, and and you need that. Hmm. Um, so so basically, we were doing quite well in Canada. That was the only country we were live in. Um, but if you can appreciate coupons mean America and America is the center for coupons. Mm-hmm. Um, 80, 80% of the market is in America. So we knew right from the get go that if we remain a Canada only country, no one would care about us. So to exit eventually one day or another, we would need to have a U.S. footprint. And, uh, the U S is a very, very different market than Canada, the Canada, the Canadian market, you can bootstrap and, you know, it's not as fiercely competitive, but the U.S. market is completely different. So we quickly realized that we wouldn't be able to bootstrap our way through the U.S. market and uh, we would need VC money. So on the supply side, we were confident that our that our CPG relationships, it's the same CPGs in Canada as, as they are in America. Right, right. So our CPG relationships would cross over, but to just get, you know, 10 million app downloads or even a even 1 million app downloads it, it would require some 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 competition hmm. um so we we went out to raise vc money we ended up getting a few term sheets and in the middle of it all we met a vc firm called lightbank 
which is a Chicago-based VC firm, and it happens to be owned by a, a founder, a very prominent billionaire, Eric Lefkowski, who was also the CEO and founder of Groupon. Um, so that that VC firm very quickly <laughs> saw a lot of synergy right. between our our business model and the Groupon model, and they asked us, "What are we going to do with the with the twenty million bucks that we're asking asking <laughs> for?" And and our answer was, "You know, most of it is going to go towards uh, user acquisition." Hmm. And and they said, "Well, you know, at Groupon we have." 50 million users who love saving money and they save money on restaurants and nail salons and spas and all sorts of activities, but they don't have a grocery channel and they would love to save some money on groceries. So that's how Groupon came into the picture. That's, I mean, so it's, it's literally luck, right? Like you were looking for VC money, you ended up found, finding a company that was interested in acquiring you. What were the key things that you think Groupon was looking for. I mean, so clearly you had a solution that was working. Were they looking for like a certain growth rate that you were able to show or a certain volume? What were the key metrics that they found interesting? Um, so Groupon definitely knew that we were we were a young company. We were less than a year old. So the growth was obviously promising, but it was still small numbers. Like Groupon was not buying us for our revenue. Groupon is a four billion dollar company yeah. even with our rev- whether our revenue is one million or two million it's not going to move the needle for groupon so what groupon was looking for was a solution that had a lot of synergies with its core business and it could open a new growth front for the for the company so groupon's business was sort of slowing down uh, the voucher business had reached its peak and it was the growth was slowing. So they were looking for other ways to grow. And this was the grocery, the grocery vertical was very attractive to them because if you think about it, uh, a nail salon or a spa or a restaurant, they're discretionary spends, but, but groceries are kind of like staple. Like you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the use case frequency for groceries is, you know, two to three times a week, uh, whereas yeah. the use case frequency for a spa or a restaurant for an average group owner was maybe, you know, once a month or once every six weeks. Right. So so, so the use case frequency is what Groupon was focused on. And the, the thesis was that if we can get our users to start interacting with the Groupon platform once a week or twice a week, that's huge. Right. Um, I mean, so technically, a, they could use your solution not just for groceries, but for other things also, right? That's right. So if the user is checking Groupon for a dollar of milk or dollar of bread, the odds are better right. that they might buy a restaurant voucher or I something see. else. So it was for know? engagement. Okay. So that's uh, that was that was sort of the thesis. I see. Um, so Groupon was really buying us for the strategic value. Um versus, you know, our growth or revenue. I Even see. although that said, our growth on revenue did prove to Groupon that there is there's some real, you know, uh, re- real substance in this business. It's right. not it, it's it actually not, works. It's, not va- it's not vapor. Exactly. Yeah. And and just a quick uh, clarification, how were you setting up these contracts with these CPGs? Were these 
were these like you know long-term contracts or was it like a one-time deal yeah so that's a great question um when we started we were doing these as one-time deals um a lot of the time cpgs would start by doing a test and learn mm. and then and then they would and then they would you know fall into a cadence of doing a couple of deals here a couple of deals there and then once they got comfortable with you then they would then they would uh, onboard you as a preferred vendor. Um, so, for example, uh, a good analogy is uh, American Express is the preferred vendor at most corporates for corporate travel. Hmm. And and then every single employee in that company has to use American Express for booking all their travel needs. And even though you're, you can get a cheaper flight on kayak, they still want you to book American Express. And that's just because... CPGs don't want to focus on price as much as ease of doing business and and just you know having a set process. So we we did end up becoming that vendor of record is the industry lingo at I think 13 of the top 20 CPGs. I see. Uh, wow. um, but that but that takes time. So the sales cycle is usually 16 months. Uh, from from first conversation to becoming vendor of record, and and that's because just CPGs move slowly. Right, they're right. very very slow moving companies. Right, but you got a, but if the sales cycle is sixteen months and you got acquired in nine months, I mean, so that that didn't seem to be of of a much consequence for Groupon at least. Like they were okay with you not having those long term relationships with these companies. Well, the thing was, Groupon did very rigorous diligence on 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 us. Like they called all the CPGs that we had worked with, hmm. and they and they had detailed conversations. And the CPGs explained to them that, look, these guys have a lot of promise, a lot of potential. We love working with them. Things are going in the right direction, and they will become the vendor of record. I see. It just okay. takes time. Got it. Like, so they saw know, that and, part. Okay. And 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 at the same time, you know, from Groupon's standpoint. Had we continued to grow for another 12 months, 24 months, we would have become, you know, maybe three times or four times more expensive uh, for, for, sure. them, yeah. for, them, for them to buy. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's where the luck thing comes in, right? They spotted you or you, you spotted them and they, they saw the potential in you and they're like, okay, this looks like a good acquisition. Was, was there anything that was patented? Um. We we filed a couple of provisional applications. Hmm. Um, it's really hard to patent an idea. Hmm. Um, what what we had tried building IP around was if you can if you can appreciate this, most receipts are not flat surfaces. They're usually crumpled. They're usually it's not like a, a page in a right. book. Right. Right. So so if you have a page in a book, uh, Google does it all the time. You can easily OCR that that printed right. page in a book right. with very high accuracy right. um, and OCR really doesn't work well on receipts because receipts are printed on thermal paper it's <laughs> yeah. poor ink it's poor printer quality it's crumpled up it's not a flat surface so we had built a lot of uh, algorithms to increase that OCR accuracy from perhaps a 70 mid 70 percent to you know high 90s oh, nice. and, and that's and that's very important because that's how you get your data integrity yeah um no that's so, very so, important because so that's something we 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 considered patenting but mm. uh again our, our our focus was sales and and not product right 
no that makes a lot of sense but i mean clearly you you guys had technology which could be patented because otherwise i mean technically this could be a solution which could be copied by a lot of other people so there there could be that aspect of you know who cuz like from a customer perspective i'll probably want to use just one app like this right like i won't have five different apps that i'll be using for coupons so there's a little bit of that also but i'm sure the group on acquisition helped you a lot in just getting to market and suddenly having access to so many users yeah no that's correct yeah so uh when when groupon made that offer to you did you guys go through any kind of thought process like you know should we i'm sure you guys were happy actually what was that like when groupon made the offer uh well groupon made the proposal um we i mean we were very neutral to it um because we were doing quite well we weren't under under pressure to sell so <clears throat> we carefully evaluated uh the proposal and that's how we approached it we we really viewed groupon the the, the deal with groupon not as a sale per se but more as a partnership where instead of us raising money and being independent and perhaps even eventually going head to head against groupon given groupon could buy someone else um in in the market and then you know try and compete with us uh we really believed groupon had scale and that was one of our biggest shortfalls and being with groupon we could solve this market we could we could solve the problem in this market mm-hmm. more effectively so we viewed groupon this groupon proposal as more of a more of a long term partnership this sounds like you know like you probably had a discussion within your team members all of you seem to be on the same page i mean how long did that process last um so from getting the initial letter initial loi till close it was probably a 3 4 four month process i see okay 3 4 months and that's and that's long that's that's not normal um and the reason being um, it was a complex deal mm okay i mean what were the key negotiation points if you can share yeah so um one of the big points was around structuring mm. um we wanted to structure it in a way that we obviously you know were rewarded for what we have built so far but we are also left with uh a significant amount of skin in the game to see the reward from the growth in the future i see because yeah so so um and that's always you know tricky um <laughs> and even from groupon standpoint while they want to keep you motivated and they want to keep you incentivized they don't want a scenario where you know they don't capture the value either for sure so yeah. so again it's a classic negotiation um what made it a little bit more complicated was the fact that it was an international deal so um oh, right. you know we were in canada they were in us and there were some tax consequences because of that so so yeah that was uh, that's what made the deal a little bit uh, longer to negotiate i see okay all right so this is it's a great story ankur what do you think were some of the key decisions that you took along this entire like this 11 months duration that you think were critical for you to have been able to see this successful exit um yeah so i mean look the the key decisions were i would say definitely finding the right team um especially the engineers and the sales people when when you're a startup it's all it's the people that 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 are the company 
Mm. You have no product, you have nothing. It's the people. Um, so we were fortunate enough to find the right people. Um, and then getting the first big deal with, uh, with Reckitt gave us confidence and the money. Um, and we really believe, started believing that yes, we can, we can, we can right. do this. Um, and then, and then our strategic decision from day one was to not be focused on raising money. Um, we were focused on making money. We were focused on creating revenue. Um, we were not one of those startups where we said, you know what, let's build the product and then we'll figure out the revenue model two years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we started with a revenue model. And we said, how can we build a product that fits in the revenue model? So how, um, how do you think that this, this, this is a very good point, that you were not focused on raising money, you were focused on making money. How do you think that that positioned you differently than it would, than you might have been positioned if you tried to raise money? Um, so effectively, what you do when you raise VC money is that you are giving up control. So uh, when you raise a small seed round, say half a million bucks, um, the the seed investor will ask for 25% of your company. So out of the gate, you have given a quarter of your company right. away uh, for half a million bucks and they would ask for some control, like in terms of a board seat mm. and they would have, they would demand certain veto rights. And the VC model is such that they want you to either hit a home run or go down to zero. Mm. Um, they don't really like mediocre successes. That's not. <laughs> yeah. That's not. That's not how they operate. They either love home runs. It's it's zero or hundred. Yeah, I mean that's so, how the VC model works. Yeah. Yeah, and and quite frankly, um, if, if we had a VC in our capital capital structure he or she or or they would have perhaps not been very happy with the deal because in their mind they would have said you know let's shoot for a hundred um but in our mind we were perhaps content given the timeline and you know in 11 months we're getting there yeah um you know we 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 saw it from a risk reward perspective so so we just preserved our independence that's what not raising money yeah gave did, us. did for you and I, I think what you're also bringing up is another point which is that a lot also depends on what your goal is right from starting that business i mean if you're looking to create the next billion dollar company and correct me if i'm wrong but maybe it does make sense to to raise vc money because you'll have a partner who probably has similar goals but you're yeah if you're looking for something smaller, then you maybe want to preserve your independence. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, look, we didn't think too much about this. We, we didn't, we didn't. Obviously, if you ask someone, "Hey, do you, would you like to create a billion dollar company?" Who, who would say no to yeah. that? <laughs> right. Um, but did we spend too much time? Like, how can we make this a billion dollar idea? We, no, we did not. Yeah. We we said okay, how can we start getting the revenue flowing? Yeah. And 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 let's keep our independence. You never know what comes, what happens. We we want we we like we like owning our own destiny. So we were not averse to raising capital. We obviously 
were raising capital when the time was right, which was to enter the U.S. market. Um, also, another thing is um, having less money in your company makes you more frugal mm. and makes you more disciplined. Okay. Um, and and that really was was in our DNA. We were very frugal, very disciplined. We we you know did not spend money on fancy chairs, fancy offices, <laughs> yeah. um, um, free snacks, free everything. Yeah. Yeah, so we bootstrapped everything. So who who knows what what would have happened had we right. raised a big round. Oh, so absolutely. so so for sure. So the pressure was on us, and it gave us control. So you know, I I I won't say that it's the right or the wrong approach. I think it was certainly a more conservative approach at that time because we knew that we were not creating product first business we knew we were creating a sales first right, business right and, and at the end of the day i'm giving free money to users so if my product is not the slickest best shiniest thing out there the consumer value prop is still strong enough right. given the free money that they get <laughs> yeah that there that my product will be used absolutely uh, like I mean, if you think about it right now, the the people who use coupons or rebates, they they buy a printer, they cut a little piece of cardboard from the box, they put it in an envelope, they put a stamp on it, they send it to somewhere in the some place in the middle of nowhere, and they wait three months. The place sends them a check back. They take that check to the branch, and then they deposit that check, and that's how they get their fifteen dollars. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> And they still do it. Yeah, you know they still do it. So, so we were very, very cognizant of who is our user and what's our what's our what's our uh, strategy. What's our strategy? It's a right. sales strategy. Yeah, and I mean, at the time of the acquisition, how big was your team? Uh, we were nine employees. Nine full time employees, and then you had you probably had some people looking after your Android app. That, uh, who were what yeah outsourced. so two 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 part-time so 11 got it got it okay and so if i were to ask you that hey uncle if you could replicate a similar exit again like if you were to start something new today what would you say maybe, maybe. um i mean uh, like i obviously have done this once so it gives me confidence i can do it again but uh um, I mean, obviously having experienced the full cycle from inception to building to exit gives you confidence. You know what not to do and what to do. But I still believe like a lot of it is luck. So you can never say, yes, I'll be able to replicate it. But I mean, uh, you but even a maybe. You is have a... to. Sorry? No, I, mean, I was just saying even maybe is a very strong answer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so uh, there's a lot of serendipity. There's a lot of luck. Uh, but... What could be different this time is that I have a lot more patience. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm willing to wait. You know, a lot longer for an exit and build uh, a, a bigger business, a potentially larger business, although a little bit more slowly. Mm. Um, so, so that's probably what would be different um, in terms of doing it again. Doing it again. And what do you think are the key qualities that you have that? You think in have uh, like enabled you to see to see the success with snap saves and potentially again with something else. Um, a couple of things. I mean, 
I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Um, and I think having that self-awareness is very important. Although I can claim to know the, the product space very well and claim to be a product you know, <laughs> leader, but um, I still know that my bigger strength is in, uh, is in sales. And that's, that's how I work. So that's number one. Um, num- number two, I would say, um, is perfect is the enemy of the good. <laughs> and, and, and I believe in that very, very strongly. Um, mm-hmm. We did not spend time pixel pushing and, you know, trying to figure out what's the silver bullet. No, we just went, moved very, very quickly experimented a b tested and then iterated um so so those are those are, i think th- th- and and i think a combination of both those things is what's colloquially called being scrappy <laughs> yeah. uh, um and 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 having a bit of hustle so i guess i guess that's what i would say i feel i have no definitely and like did you always know that you're good at sales like do you enjoy sales how did you because you were in a pe job right like uh, did you have prior experience with sales no um but at the end of the day investment banking and private equity they're both deal deal making businesses hmm. and and when you're when you're in the deal making business it, you're you're a salesman that's true um, yeah when you're a private equity buyer uh, you take your bag full of money and you try to buy someone's company. Mm-hmm. So you have to sell. You have to sell to them why they should sell their company to you and not to someone else. Right. And when you are, when you own a company in private equity, you have to sell that company to the next buyer. So, so you're constantly buying and selling. You're you're a salesman all the time. Um, and yeah, was I doing that job per se? No, my boss was, but. I was standing right by him and I was watching him and I was learning from him and I was mm-hmm. supporting him. So, so I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the co- connecting with people and, 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 um, yeah, selling. Yeah. And if I were to ask you, like, you know, what are the common mistakes you think entrepreneurs make, especially in the early stages of their, uh, of their venture? Any, anything that comes to mind? Um, yeah, I think I think the biggest mistake that most people make is focusing too much on the idea. Um, the the number one thing is, oh, will this idea work? And I really have started to believe. Like, obviously, there are some really really bad ideas that you can just hear them once and be like, okay, that will certainly not work. But for the most part, I'm I'm a, I'm a believer in execution versus ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So we knew this coupons business was good. There was a lot of, you know, uh, subpar actors making money in the space. So I was like, okay, great, we're do- we're doing this. And then we didn't know exactly what we were building, and we started chatting with the customers and trying to figure it out. And we executed, and we didn't yeah. spend too much time debating on the idea of the business, and yeah. and you know, uh, like. We didn't really wait for for us to have an aha moment. That no one has an aha moment ever. <laughs> yeah, but so, I, I think that's what's really also, at least for me, I think what's very interesting is that you started 
speaking with customers like pretty much on day one and so you had a very good idea of exactly what they wanted as you said in towards the beginning of the discussion that one of the cpg companies told you like this is our pain point please do something about this so it's not yeah i mean i mean i knew that i would i knew that they would be the people paying me the money yeah and i would eventually have to sell to them yeah so it makes perfect sense for me to ask them what they want yeah and if i can build it i'll sell to them yeah I mean, that, this was your unfair advantage, right? Like, I think more than anything, your network in CPG companies, like you had access to these decision makers, which not everyone has access to. That's a fair point. Right. Um, but it's it's not that difficult. You'd be amazed at at how accessible some of these people in the middle to junior ranks are. Right. Yeah, of course, if you're trying to get in touch with a VP, might be tough. That person might be busier than than most but you know a, a lot of uh, employees in the middle to junior ranks in the cpg world uh pretty much work nine to five and they 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 kind of enjoy meeting with with people such as such as you know snap saves of the world because that's fresh fresh ideas for them right, right. they they like that yeah. And for them also, I mean, if you're, if you're talking to a brand manager, I mean, like a brand manager is probably working there after what, not more than five, six years of experience. And, you know, if they're able to bring something interesting to the company that actually that's right. portrays the brand manager very well. That's, that's absolutely right. You hit it right on the head. So when we, so if you, if you see the trend in the CPG world in the last three, four years, they're getting crushed. They're getting pressurized by the private label side. They are you know, the, the competition is intense. They're not receiving the growth they used to. Pricing power has eroded. Uh, you can see like guys like Dollar Shave Club, Disrupting right. Gillette. Um, so they really have realized that digital innovation is what they need. Yeah. And now bringing innovation to the table when you're planning your next year's media strategy and budgeting and this and that, is really a key perform is is a key component of your year end evaluation. Yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of CPGs uh, like Johnson and Johnson, for example, has a digital gatekeeper, so to speak. So <laughs> any vendor that's digital has to go through that before even talking to the brand manager. Oh, and interesting. That that digital gatekeeper, uh, we got a couple of these digital gatekeepers promoted because when they presented the SnapSafe solution to the, their brand portfolios, the adoption was so strong that, that they got promoted. And Exactly. I mean, that's no, what's in it for them. There's nothing better yeah. for a vendor than to help their client no, absolutely. get promoted. I mean, so it's like, you know, the standard thing of try and find what is in it for them. And uh, more, often, more often than not, that will help you get somewhere. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I don't know, this might be a slightly odd question, but like, would you recommend any books or resources, anything at all? I mean, so you're clearly an execution guy, so you would probably don't want your entrepreneurs reading a lot of books, but like any anything, you know, which like maybe a source of inspiration that you have personally liked? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really <laughs> read stuff related to startups or, or yeah. all that. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I read your customary blogs like like the, the, the strategy and, and, you know, things that are that keep me current hmm. with the, with the trends in the market. But uh, I'm 
I'm, I'm, I no, don't that's think fair. That, so like, the, the stuff is in a book. Exactly. Yeah. So, so for staying current with the market, strategy is one blog you mentioned. Do you read anything else? Um, I, I read like, I read a lot of news. Like I read TechCrunch. Um, I read the journal. I read, I, I read every single piece of news that I can get my hands on. Hmm. Um, and, and just being in finance for, for that long, you, you just start following the markets very closely. You start following the sectors you enjoy very closely. And, and, you know, you start reading about the companies like the coupon space had a bunch of public companies, uh, that were taken private. So I just read up on, on, on them. Like, what did they do? How did they, you know, crush a quarter? What, what, what innovation did they bring? What product changes helped them achieve greater sales? So it really wasn't a direct contributing factor, but you just form an understanding of the space that it bodes for richer discussions, whether it's your clients or VCs or eventually your buyers. And, and they feel that they're talking to someone who knows the space. And that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Ankur, this was very, very helpful. Last question. Like if a founder comes up to you, you know, they, they hear this discussion, they say, hey, Ankur, this was awesome. I'm starting a company myself. What one piece of advice would you share with that founder? Uh, that they should start it ASAP. They should <laughs> not wait for for the stars to align, for them to find the right co-founder, for them to get their angel money. They should literally start it. Just start it. small. Yeah. Start small. I mean, you don't need to start at, at, a, at, a, at a big level. Just start small. If you're going to start a, you know, I don't know, a, a, a coupon company, just go to a small CPG that you can get your hands on and talk to the guy there and be like, hey, can I sell you some coupons? And see what he says. Just do your first sales call and see if that even works. So that's that's the advice I would give. Oh, I like it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ankur, and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Anali. Appreciate talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so that was Ankur on how he took snap saves from just an idea all the way to being acquired by Groupon in just 11 months. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Ankur or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. If you enjoyed today's discussion as much as I did, you should subscribe to the podcast. You can check out our website at www.learneducatediscover.com where you'll find links to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. So you can subscribe to the podcast over there. And while you do that, you should leave us a review. It really, really means a lot. On the website, you'll also find a list of previous episodes as well as other helpful resources such as links to sample cover letters, books recommended by other guests on the show, and so on. You can also subscribe to our newsletter on the website. So do check out the website at www.learneducatediscover.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. And if you like the page, you'll start getting updates on all the great content that we are putting together for you guys right there in your newsfeed. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and until the next one, bye-bye.